and welcome to another special episode of We're Not Wizards. Um, this one is a Friends of the Show special, and it's going to be called Come Out of the Cold and Dive, Dive, Dive. Now, I know why it's called that, and you will know why it's called that. Because joining me um, to this evening is a gentleman by the name of Andy Benford, who was uh, responsible for a, well, a game by the name of The Come Unseen, which is published by Osprey Games. Um, and we're going to talk about the game, but one of the reasons I wanted to speak to Andy was because Andy, normally we have a discussion about how people get into board games, but Andy's actual story about how his board game connects up to his life is fascinating which was one of the reasons I wanted to have him on so sorry for the massive introduction Andy but hello I hope you're well <laughs> hello yes I'm fine good I enjoyed the introduction well yeah. that you know I do I do go on a bit too much and need to to shorten them down um are you well are you are you good uh, uh, yes thank you yes thank good you for stuff. inquiring yeah <laughs> and yourself um Yes, actually, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I can't complain, actually. Mustn't grumble. Mustn't you know. grumble. You know, just <laughs> getting on, you know. Yes, just that's, my genera- that's my generation's line, mustn't grumble. But yeah, no, <laughs> well, abs- I'm pro- absolutely fine. Oh, yeah, I'm a bit, um, maybe a bit older than I, I kind of let on. But um, yeah, yeah, I kind of use that a lot. Um, now, for people that haven't listened to us for uh, before, the reason yeah. that we do this is because there are quite simply not enough podcasts out there about board games, Indeed. and there's not enough podcasts out there with people with fascinating life stories <laughs> connected <laughs> to the games that they actually made. Um, and what we do, we we're not wizards, is we like to find out a little bit about. The kind of your your kind of your history, okay, um, and then in relation to to board games, and then anything that you've been touching on in the present, um, and obviously we do want to talk about um, they they come unseen. So, okay, um, in relation to board games, I can you know if we touch on that first of all, how you know what kind of games have you played? What have you enjoyed in the past? <clears throat> um, well, I've I've had quite a, a lengthy innings. Um, I, I'm a child of the 50s, born in 1950. All right. And uh, back in those days, there, there wasn't much else to do. Uh, television didn't start till probably five in the evening. Uh, when we had free time and the weather was good, we were building dens, tree houses, cycling everywhere. But if it rained, oh, yes, you could read a book, but mm-hmm. um, there were also board games. And my first memory of a board game is a game called Fishing uh, by Peeps Games. Uh, it came right. out in, in 1953. Now, w- what's great about this uh, podcast, Richard, is when you put the agenda there, it, it forced me to sort of look in, delve into my past. Um, and the Board Game Geek website is a terrific resource. Oh, it is, yeah, so I yeah. thought, well, I, I know it was it was about fishing, Let's have a look. So I typed in fishing, and this drop-down list came with fishing this and fishing that. And there it was, about halfway down, fishing, brackets, 1953. Well, I thought, well, that sounds about <laughs> the right the right era. And lo and behold, there it was. 
And the reason that game sort of sticks well in my memory is that I can remember my mother very kindly playing it with me. So this would have been when I was about six or seven, I guess. And it's a nice little game. Nothing too dramatic. But it, it if people go to the, the Board Game Geek website, type in fishing, find the 1953, and look at the board. It was just a lovely board. It, it's a plan view of the English countryside with a, a patchwork of fields. And some of them have walls, some have hedges, some have fences, had little gateways. And the game was simply you rolled dice and you, you went down to a river. All right, okay. And you then threw the dice again to cast to get a fish. And over the course of the game, you tried to get as many pounds worth of fish as you could. And one of the fields was a ploughed field. So if you chose that route, and it was always the shortest route, but you halved your roll. And it was that sort of thing. And it had uh, cards that... Not very PC, really, but it said you stopped to smoke your pipe. <laughs> so there I was as a six-year-old. Okay, six-year-old I'll, boy, I'll, I'll smoke the my pipe. pipe. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's my 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 first memory of of board games. That was a really nice little game. Sadly, I no longer have it. Um, when I do have, and in fact, I, I brought it here with me so I could have the sort of tactile feel of it as I sort of talk about it. Um, and it's it's got my name written on it on. The front of the box and on the back of the box. I was clearly very protective of it. <laughs> and that's Contraband. All right, by, okay. By Peeps Games. So that's a, a smuggling game, a bit of bluff and stuff. Uh-huh. So those are the sort of early uh, games. So what was uh, Contraband about then? What did you have to do in that? Ah, well, that was, um, I don't know, I can't remember now, about... Uh, Three, I think you had to have at least three players because one player played a customs officer. Mm-hmm. And the, let's have a look. Yeah, customs officer is chosen by agreement or by dealing one card to each player. All right, okay. And um, the other two players or more then had four cards and they could be just ordinary luggage, but they might be nylon stockings. Here we are, duty £10. <laughs> Fine of £30 if you don't declare it. Brandy, no. duty, £5, fine 15 And so what you were doing, you were saying to the customs officer, oh, I've just got nothing. And he or she, okay, fair enough, could believe you and say fair enough. Yeah. And so you then passed them to the other player, who I think, I think then discarded one and took up another one, and then thought, oh, flipping heck. And in amongst these, you could have the crown jewels as one of the, the things. So you were bluffing and, uh, yeah. yeah, good fun. It sounds like um, there's a game out there called Sheriff of Nottingham where you basically, you've, you're, you're face up against the sheriff and you've got a bag bag of goods and you've got to try and kind of, I think you've got to try and bluff your way through with the, okay. the items there as well. What <clears throat> Do you know the fascinating thing for this, for me, is that I think a lot of people think, well, board games kind of getting big and complicated and not just about um, kind of being the monopolies of this world. I think they think that's a relatively new thing, but you're talking about games that are 60-odd years old, <clears throat> which seem to have mechanics which are being replicated kind of nowadays, which is kind of mm. really, really, really kind of interesting. Well, um, on... Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, on, on that particular one, I mean, another, another game, and again, I, I still have a copy of this, Buccaneer, I don't know if you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Waddington's yeah. brought out. Now, I was looking at that, uh, and that was 1938 when that first came out. <laughs> and that had, um, uh, or still has, if people have got it, 
a really clever mechanic um, because there, there are no dice in it. Yeah. Um, and you had cards. And the cards had, or have, I don't know why I'm giving the past tense, it still exists. The cards had uh, pictures of sailors on them and a number. So if there were six sailors on it, you'd have a number six. And they can be either black or red mm. on these cards. And you you had so many cards and you picked cards up during the game. And if you if the total of your black sailors was 15 and your red was five, and they're all together in the hand, then you had a move, moving power of 20. Right. And, your, and your fighting power was 15 minus five, which is 10. All right. Now, your opponents could see the back of the cards, and on the back of the cards, they just saw numbers. So they always knew your sailing ability, how far you could move. Yeah. But they didn't know what your fighting ability was. That's, oh, that's really quite clever. That's really that, quite no, clever. That is, for it. That is amazing. And a I'll game t- that came out in 1938. So, uh, and I'll t- I'll tell you why because I, um, when we spoke to um, I think Aaron West at Elsa Games, he was uh, describing a card game which had um, quite similar mechanics where you basically it gave an idea of what the power of the card could be on the back. So when you're looking at the opponent, you can see on the back it says, "Well, this is." Uh, this is a seven, which means it could be this, or this is a, a four, okay. which means it could yeah, yeah. be this. But then the actual cards themselves had exactly what the power was going to be. So I mean, this is um, this is fascinating, fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, as you were, I mean, as you kind of moved on, did you stay? I mean, did you stay with board games? I mean, have you now? Now, I guess where you are just now. I mean, do you still play a lot of games? At the moment, with uh, not game. as uh, not as much as I'd like. Um, uh-huh. It it tends to be, you know, family gatherings when there's a number of us around, and uh-huh. I'll persuade them. I'll, I'll I'll get a board game out. Uh-huh. And I'm back in. Uh, we're jumping forward a bit, but I suppose in two. I think it was two thousand six. I re- I discovered Board Game Geek and registered, uh-huh. and discovered this. Uh, huge amount of games out there and so i decided to that i would buy for the family for me really but for the family yes i would buy a board game for christmas and uh, so i would you know select one from that list and uh, looking at i, I got pirates cove I, I discovered days of wonder i think when i yeah. discovered board game geek so i got pirates cove one year mystery of the abbey another shadows of a camelot right. uh, and so forth so, so have, you, have you got quite a collection then? Would you say? Not a huge collection. There's a, well, my <laughs> wife Sue would say far too many. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think my wife would say would say the same. She goes, "Hey, how many how many trees do you think you've killed with the collection <laughs> that you've got?" I said, "Well, if they knew how much enjoyment they were going to give, I'm sure they would have died very, very <laughs> happy, very, very happy trees." Yeah. Um, um, so, so yeah. yeah, a reasonable collection. Okay, okay. Hmm. Now, um, one, I mean, you're in the unusual position where um, you don't see many people that say, well, I'll tell you what, I used to, you know, I used to go out and I used to fight dragons and I used to defeat orcs and I defended a lot of castles and then after a while I decided to, um, I decided to make a board game about my adventures. Um, So there's not many people that are in that kind of situation. But you're... 
the board game, the board game that you made is yeah. very, very, very much tied in to your kind of your, your kind of your your career. Um, yes. So, and there's a, I mean, there's a fascinating kind of breakdown. I mean, I'll read the first line, which is basically said, you know, that you, you were in the, you were a retired commander in the Royal <clears throat> Royal Navy. Yeah. You started out in Dartmouth in 1971. And then you embarked on a submarine career. Now I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> so, I okay. Mean, Do you want to well, yeah, I mean, just yeah, just okay. jump in from there. I mean, what? Tell us a little bit about your career to date, really. Okay. Uh, well, a slight correction on that. I, I joined Dartmouth in '68. Straight start. I, I've known nothing but um, going from school at the end of A levels straight mm. into the navy. I had nothing in between. Oh, yeah, right, joined, okay. joined Dartmouth '68. Went through the the training. Um, I decided I wanted to be a submariner. Joined my first submarine proper in 1972. I, I did do some time on board HMS Finwall, uh, a diesel boat, out based out in Singapore. Uh-huh. Really rugged, really rugged. <laughs> um, uh, as I mean, just to get experience of it. But then joined submarines proper in '72. Um, went through um, a number of diesel submarines. You you move through the jobs. I was the navigator of a couple, Sonaros or another one. Then I went to a nuclear submarine. I was the TAS officer. That's torpedo and anti and uh, anti submarine. Yeah. Um, then did the perisher course, which qualifies you to command. Went on to command a submarine on that was on exchange in in the Australian Navy, and was second in command of a Polaris boat, based up in good old Scotland at Faz Lane. Right. I okay. mean that that's it, sort of in a nutshell. Yeah, but, but coming back to how the game came about. Yeah, in uh, it was in. Let's see, we, we got married in 1973, mm. and it, I was in HMS Grampus in 1974. The boat was up in Rosyth for a thing called DD Docking and Essential Defects. What year was that? And uh, when did I say 74? 74. Yeah, my my um, um, my dad worked in Rosyth Dockyard. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so he probably what, Mister Simpson. Yeah. He probably was. Yeah. He probably was a. He was a. What was he? A PTO four or something like that at the time. Um, okay. But he was always involved in the kind of the reef, like the refits and refurbs. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like well, that, so. well, the, well, the docking of essential defects was a sort of a, a re- really mini refit. It was just oh. a sort of you went into dock and they did essential defects, I and mean, it said what it on the tin. Yeah. But um. I was the navigator, but then I was allowed. I came back south to Portsmouth to HMS Dolphin to do a specialist navigation course for submarines, and so that was really good. We recently married, and uh, so I was at home in the, in the married quarter in uh, South Sea. Yeah. And on the evening news, or or the sort of uh, local news program, there was a an art, an item about some chap who was getting a board game published. Now, I can't remember anything about the game, him or anything, but I just remember that event. And he, when he was asked by the presenter, oh, you know, how do you, or what would you recommend to anybody else who was going to do this? And he said, where's the effect of, find something you know about and make a game around it. Okay. And that was it, really. Because I've always liked board games. If I sort of go back from 74 back to probably 1960... I, I made a game back in 1960, which I called Combat, okay. which had had uh, balsa wood 
ships, aircraft carriers, battleships. I mean, the, you know, the aircraft carrier was about three inches long, I think, and a three quarters of an inch wide. Um, and you rolled dice in that one, and you measured out. Well, I got a cork or two corks. So it was two players with uh-huh. cocktails, cocktail sticks stuck in them, like a you know pair of dividers, and you sort of stepped your way across this uh, the playing board of a, a seascape. Um, yeah, so that that was back in like sixty combat. Didn't get anywhere with that, but it, it was it was good fun. Yeah, um, okay. But so when this guy said, um, you know, do something you know about, and I thought I remember thinking, well, I can do that. I like games. I've already already had this combat when I was ten or so. Yeah. And what I know about is submarines. So that's how it came to be, um, and. Very quickly, I, I put together a little prototype, which I've still got. Um, it, it's played on two boards, and so I've got two little A4 boards. And from the outset, I decided um, that I didn't want any dice in it. I know this may go against many board gamers. No, but, um... no I mean, um, <clears throat> Colin, <clears throat> and even myself, we don't like dice because dice means chance. And, um, Absolutely, and yeah. that means that you can te- you can technically pay- play a game, be extremely lucky, and win a game without doing anything more than rolling a couple of dice. So you're you know you're in say you you know you're in um, you're, <laughs> I'm among <laughs> friends. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, absolutely. It, 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 I mean, uh, my feeling came about because I'm uh, sad memories of risk, um, and. Being, I can you can see yourself. You're you're, you're being reduced down to the Kamchatka Peninsula. Yeah. <laughs> you've you've got your armies there, and everybody else they're coming to you from Alaska and everywhere else, and just being bombarded with uh, dice rolls and and you know I was playing that as a I don't know ten eleven twelve year old, and back then I mean I'm always being competitive, but back then losing it's it sort of hurt. As you grow older and you go through life. I mean, now I, I don't mind if I win or lose. But I just enjoy the process of playing a game. Yeah, and and so you, you make that change. But so I I can remember feeling quite sore about being set upon by my friends um, on the Kamchatka Peninsula, <laughs> and, and also Cluedo. That's a, a, a good family I, game. Yeah. But 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 it, what is so annoying about Cluedo um, is, as you know, you, you once you've decided who did it, where, and with what, you've then got to go to where. Yeah. To make the announcement. And so you thought, right, I've cracked it. Right, I need to get to the library. Where is it? Oh, it's six. Right, roll, one. Everybody else goes, <laughs> next go, roll, one. <laughs> so it, it was it was that sort of experience that made me think, no, I, I don't want dice. We have an ongoing joke at the club, which is um, it's almost like a... A, a kind of a movement to almost flip the table kind of thing <laughs> where we say we you know where you just go right and you kind of make the movement with your hands when the when the entire table's can co- covered with components and pieces and somebody takes the time like it's like you know time of death or something and they just go right flip the table eight eight seventeen um kind of thing so yeah there's i can there's a lot of games out there that are considered kind of mainstays and kind of classics, and a lot of them are down to, you know, somebody somebody said to me, "I'm Cluedo champion of the world." I was like, "All right, get it rolling dice then, <laughs> are you?" Kind of thing. But if somebody said to me they're not some crosses champion, they might get a little bit more respect. <laughs> so, when, okay, so 
70s, you yeah. put together kind of like the prototype for yeah. the come on the come on scene. And obviously, we're going to talk more about the mechanics to help people kind of understand yes. what we do. But where did you go from there? I mean, did, okay, what, what okay. happened next? Okay, well, firstly, back then, um, because I've got a vast imagination, I called it submarine. Um, and <laughs> you might as well. so, well, it, it it explained what it was about. <laughs> yeah. And um, anyway, so I, I developed it. Um, I wrote out the rules in in manuscript, and then I got uh, Sue. Well, she very kindly said, "Well, I can type those." She touch typist, so and I still got those uh, in the box, the original pages. And I did some little diagrams to to demonstrate how it all went, and. Um, I played it with a few people. I mean, in, in diesel boats, you, you don't have a lot of time for board games because yeah. there isn't much space. So in the diesel submarines, when we had relaxation, we'd either play Liar Dice, which I'm rubbish at, mm. um, a, a game called Scats, which is just played with ordinary pack of, di- um, pack of cards. Uh-huh. And, and, and different cards do different things. And, and you got... You know, you you put down a, a seven and it changed the suit and you declared what the suit is, and other cards reverse direction. And if somebody went to play and it had reversed, then you'd, you'd be penalised a card for twitching. And it was a silly game, but really good fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, but because of the the way of life and the small space, um, board games weren't so good there. So it's really I played it when uh, sure, but with some and their colleagues it was only when i went into the nuclear boats where you've got more space um that is it, it, a it big, sort, I mean, it sort is of it took a big off difference i mean are you oh I mean, yeah yeah i mean are you happiest if you know if you say right i'm off to my cupboard there <laughs> <laughs> like, we go this is nice i can put my arms out and i can touch either side of where i am kind of thing i mean you yeah, must I'm, get... I'm, I'm content with that yeah yeah <laughs> You can right when somebody says, "Oh, I like Sunday morning. I like to really wrap myself up with a duvet." <laughs> it's like, "Yep, yeah, that's me." Yeah. Kind of sort of thing. But you said, "Yeah, yeah, the nuclear subs. You've got <clears throat> was it kind of like chalk and cheese in terms of the the size of them then, or?" It, it, yes, I mean the the diameter of the hull of a, a nuclear boat. Well, they vary depending on the size of the boat. But you're talking mm. about sort of thirty feet plus, right. whereas the whereas the diameter of a a new, uh, conventional boat is uh, seventeen feet, I think. So you know, half half that's, the size, that's, and that seventeen that's really feet small, also. Yeah. All you also have to cram in machinery into that and Pipes put a and deck stuff on. Like yeah, that. absolutely. Um, yeah, so we, the game didn't get much play in the, in the diesel boat time, but certainly in the nuclear boat time. And it was in in HMS Sovereign um, that it, it got a, a really good outing, and in fact, it, it went down particularly well. And the engineers mounted my rather flimsy uh, paper board onto an aluminium backing, put a perspex top on it, and uh, connected the, the the two together with the the board trap between with lovely brass nuts and uh, bolts that they manufactured back aft. Clever chaps. <laughs> Have you still got that? Uh, no, I left it on board. I don't, oh. I don't know where to. I left it on board HMS Sovereign when I left the boat, uh-huh. um, and for them to to use. I mean, the the boat has since paid off. It's finished it, its life. Actually, it's probably sitting in in Devonport waiting to be uh, taken apart. Uh, taken apart, you know, because of the reactor core and all that sort of stuff. Um, 
so yes, I don't know if somebody thought, oh, I'll take that away. Um, so having left Sovereign, I, I then had to manufacture another one. Yeah. Uh, w- which was fine. Did um, you not call in an old favour and say, listen, we'll get the... <laughs> Did you? Because I take it you were you had hand-drawn out the artwork for the original board then, yeah? Yes, correct. Yeah. All right, okay. But I, I just did that again. <laughs> just no bother. Well, just just it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 then so the game I mean it sort of developed from the original and you know the boards got bigger and and I I put in a few things different bits and to to, to start with I mean it, it's sort of chicken and egg here because people who don't know the game don't know, won't know exactly what I'm talking about but the um the surface ship side have fuel and weapon resources. Now, in the original game, you just place them at the start of the game on different islands, and that was it. Yeah. And they could go around and collect them as, as the game progressed. Um, but at a later stage, I thought, well, that's not really realistic because at sea you have replenishment ships, uh, supply ships, container ships, and yeah, you, yeah, you, okay. you get the fuel on the fly at sea. So I brought that into the game. But then I suppose it, it, it just sort of bimbled along in that format. And and did you it, ever get any colleagues coming up to you and saying, oh, you should be doing this. Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing that? Uh, well, I'd, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't some of that, but I'm pleased to say there wasn't much. Oh, that's okay. Well, if there, were, if there was, I've conveniently forgotten it. <laughs> if there was, you say, well, yeah, that's very clever of you. Um, uh, just... You're confined to your quarters for the next four days for being a smart aleck, basically. <laughs> You're like that. Damn, I should have put that in. So, well, it, not when it was my captain talking to me, no. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Go, yes, go to your go room. Away, sir. Go to your room. No, you go to your room. You go to your room. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose my thread in a minute. Uh, so. It, it it developed a bit, yeah. uh, but then it it was sort of static, mm-hmm. and um, from t- f- there were times I have to say in, when I was in shore jobs, I, w- I was in I've either been under the water or under concrete, and that that's my sort of life because my shore jobs tended to be in in bunkers underground, operate doing the operational side of submarining, and if oh, right, I was okay. it, yeah, in the control centres. So yes, underwater or under concrete, and uh, there were times when the game just sat in the in the back of a, a cupboard and just came out occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but how it then got from that prototype? Oh, uh, I suppose uh, I should also say that there was one chap in Sovereign who was really keen on it, and he said, "Oh, can I have a copy?" And I made him a copy. So there is another copy out there, there somewhere. Another copy out there somewhere. But but that yeah. isn't quite. They're not quite the same as. The, the finished item. Anyway, so there we are with, with that. And then I, I retired from the Navy in 1993 mm. and uh, actually went then into the National Health Service managing uh, doctors. And that's interesting, going from a – I was in a <laughs> exclusively male environment because yeah. in, in my service time – uh, the the wrens were shore based only, so it was only men at sea. Yeah. So I went from almost exclusive, an exclusively male environment to quite nearly a exclusively female environment in the NHS. So I've seen both sides of life in that respect. It's a bit of a culture shock going from one side, I guess, to the other. Or did you? Yes. <laughs> well, in one, one, you had the Naval Discipline Act. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, which basically yeah. said 
you you do what I'm telling you, and then the other one you didn't. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> so, it's like no, I'll I'll decide when I'm doing what you're telling me. Yes, <laughs> we'll, we'll agree you'll say words, and I'll yeah. agree that I might occasionally decide I'm going to do them or not, kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, so, so that, yeah. there was that slight that slight difference, mm-hmm. um, but then uh, and and so I did that for nearly as long as I was in the navy. Um, and it was when I retired from, I took early retirement. Yeah. Because I, because I could, so why not? Yeah, and absolutely. live in a, a lovely little village, little Coxwell in Oxfordshire, about a hundred adults, I think, a pub. What more do you need? And I was out one day walking, um, our collie, Floss, round the, the fields. And I bumped into a, to a chap in the village, Rob Brown, walking his dog. And we just got chatting about this and that. And Rob's had a quite a varied career. But I can't remember how it came up in conversation, but he said that he had a little invention that was um, to do with medicine. I mean, he's one of these guys who he, something happens to him, and rather than thinking just, oh, that's interesting, and walking away, he thinks, oh, that's interesting. I'm sure he could do that better. And he went to see a practice nurse, I think, who, who did something, and to, to test, I think it was a cut or something, to test something, she went to her drawer and got out a, a, a paper clip Mm. Unbent, unbent it, and then used this paper clip to do whatever it was. Yeah, and he said, "Really?" And no, if that, if that had been me, I'd have come home and said to Sue, "Do you know what they did in the in the surgery? <laughs> they used a paper clip, and that would have been an end to it." But he, oh, Rob, went away and thought there must be a better way. Uh, so anyway, that's what he'd done, and he managed to get this thing, uh, you know, bought up and was being manufactured. All right. Anyway, we, we we left this conversation. He went his way, and I went mine. And I was walking along a bit, and I was thinking, God, oh, you know, I, that's really good. I'd really like to have something that I could invent and, and get it, you know, produced. Yeah. And it, a little while after that, it suddenly sunk in. I said, well, you idiot. I thought to myself, <laughs> you've, you've got this game there. So, exactly. and, so, that's, so, so that was it, really. So that was um, sort of autumn 2013. That long ago, so it was... Conceived in the seventies and it was yeah, yeah. coming to fruition in two thousand and thirteen. Well, two thousand thirteen. I then thought, well, I, well. So if we backtrack, I mean, I've always wondered if it had any commercial uh, promise. If yeah. people, if people other than surrounders would enjoy the game, but if if you go back to the seventies when I did it, I mean, there was no internet. You know, how, how do you how do you find publishers? Um, you can't email them the attached the rule set. Oh, you, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to post them off into the bundu, and you might never get it back because it gets lost in the. Pa- so you know, it just wasn't something that was practical. And plus, you know, I was quite a busy chap, and I was away at sea a lot. So, <laughs> exactly. So, like, so okay, it, it didn't. Can you send me tomorrow? Um, can you wait maybe two, <laughs> two? I mean, were you away when you were doing your your kind of your um your your kind of tours or duties or your times of times away? Um, <clears throat> How long were you away for? Were you away for like quite quite long stretches of time on the submarine? Uh, not as long as not as long as they they do now. But then again, the, the navy is is really quite stretched. Yeah, but, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> okay. I suppose about <laughs> three months was a sort of normal sort of thing. Um, right. the, the longest. Um, well, no, let's see. I think the longest I was dived was thirteen weeks. And oh. eight of those, we were below periscope depth. So, but that's that was a nuclear boat, clearly, you know. So, yeah. Um, but that that sort of length of time. 
Um, yes, I'd, I'd always wondered if it had any uh, chance of being picked up by anybody. Yeah. Um, and so there we were. I'd suddenly thought, you've got this game, have a look at it. And mm. so I, I got it out and thought, okay. It, my my gaming experience had moved on because I'd started, I'd discovered Days of Wonder, those games which yeah. I like. Yeah, um, uh, Red November, Forbidden Desert. Oh, yeah, or, yeah. You know, those sort of things. And um, although Forbidden Desert... I hadn't actually discovered at this point in time. I'm confusing myself, let alone the, list, let alone the <laughs> no, listeners. No, 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 yeah. I then, having decided this is what I'd like to try and do, and I had the time to do it because I was retired, I then set about trying to find out if uh, about games fairs. I'd heard about Essen, and I sent a... I found Essen on the internet, and I sent them an in, uh, an email, and they said, "Oh yes, you can come along. We have a an author's section or something, and it's so many euros to do it." And I was thinking about that and the logistics of getting over there, and that was quite a while away. And then I I did another search, and I discovered the UK Games Exposition. I just didn't know it, ha- it happened. Yeah. And so this was about December two thousand and thirteen, I guess when. Um, I was having that thought, and I got in contact with Richard Denning, the chap who who runs it. He he was extremely helpful, very helpful. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, you can come along. We have a a playtest zone, and that's run by a chap called Rob Harris, and they have the UK playtest or whatever." Yeah. And he said, and the only sort of gem he gave me, he said, "Just make sure that you playtest your game as as much as you can." Yes. So that you bring along as good a product as you can. So I thought, right, here we go. It's now December 2013. UK Games Expo, it's the end of May next year, 2014. I've got to get at this. And um, I started, I thought, well, I, I need to actually buff up the rule book. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to see if there's any bits and pieces I can do. And this is actually when... I think around this time I discovered Forbidden Desert and we'd been playing that, um, which involves, as you'll know, and I guess a lot of your listeners will know, has a storm mechanic in it. Yes. As yes, the, it the, does, the yeah. sandstorm goes around. And we'd played that a few times, really enjoyed it. Haven't actually... Oh, no, we did We did beat the game once, but um, most times you don't. But anyway, I, as I said, I, I don't mind that. I just enjoy the process of the game. Yeah, yeah. And it was at that point I, I sort of came around. I thought, that's really good. And I thought, well, good heavens sake, you know, if, if any game needs weather in it, it's mine. You know, the sea and the sea states and uh, thermoclines and that sort of stuff. So that was the, the main thing that I added to the game between December 2013 and going to the Games Expo was deciding on how I was going to work the weather mechanic. And I put out a, an email to the, the village, and I said, right, all you closet board gamers, come out of the closet. Um, I want some, I'd want people to come along and, and help me get this ready for um, the UK Games Expo. And I, I got about four volunteers. And nice. so they, they'd come around to our house. I'd sit them around the table, uh, put the game in front of them, tell them what to do. They would play the game. I'd feed them wine and beer, drink and nibbles <laughs> and then keep them they, there for they, a couple of days until we... <laughs> <laughs> and you know they then fed back a few things yeah and uh i'd then take that away and refine it and then they'd come back 
And so we went through that process until we came up to the Games Expo. Now, I, I booked myself a, a slot on the Sunday in the uh, playtest zone. Yeah. I mean, that was, the, that was the only slot that was available, really. Um, and I went up on the Saturday. I'd never been to the Games Expo before. Fascinating experience. But I went up on the Saturday and stayed overnight. And I thought, well, if I'm going to expect people to playtest my game on the Sunday, I really ought to put in the hours on the Saturday. So, so Muggins went along to the playtest zone on the Saturday, and I, I played a number of games. And... Um, at the end of the game, I'd fill in my form and say, yeah, okay, well, I, you know, I've got a game that I'm bringing along tomorrow. Are you going to be here? No. <laughs> so, <laughs> nobody that I spoke to who'd taken a game along uh, clearly had, had had the same ethos that I did, ethic, to think if I'm going to play some, but if I want them to play mine, I'll play theirs. Anyway. Yeah. So there we are. There's a lesson in life. Um, but I, I, I felt good about myself. Um, and I turned up on the, the Sunday laid the the game out and I was ready and waiting for the punters to arrive and interestingly enough there was a chap at the next table to me and he was doing something and there was a bit of a I don't think our slot had fully opened oh. and I went over and chatted to him and it was Matt Leacock <laughs> yes yeah absolutely <laughs> because like, he, right, he right, was he, well I, I didn't recognize him because well I wasn't expecting to see him and I don't think I would be familiar enough with him to recognize him anyway and we were chatting about something, and I, maybe I said something like, "Oh, well, you know, Forbidden Desert." That gave me the idea of putting weather in mine, and he sort of handed me a card. And it was <laughs> Matt Leacock, you know. And you're like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was quite good. Anyway, um, the game was then uh, play tested um, and went down well, um, and. I packed it up, and as I was packing it up, one of the guys in the playtest zone came along and gave me Duncan Malloy's business card from Osprey Games. Oh, yeah. And Duncan had been there on the Saturday. I don't know if he was still at the expo on the Sunday, but anyway, he'd been at the playtest zone on the Saturday and left the cards, and as I understand it, he sort of left it with them and said, look, if there's any good strategy games, please yeah. hand, hand the people my card. So... I was given the cart, which was jolly good. Zoomed home, sent him an email. Um, and he said, can you send over the rule set, which I did. Um, and initially he sort of said, thank you very much for sending your 46-page rule set. But um, <laughs> we, 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 might, uh, we, we might pass on that. And yeah. I, I sent him an email back um, saying, well, thank you very much. I, I understand. Um, I think also I sort of said, actually, I think the game is a little simpler than the, the rule set may indicate, but there we are. Do you know of any other people? I would appreciate you know any other contacts you might be able yeah. to give me. Yeah. And um, there was a, a bit of a gap. And in that hiatus, I thought, I need to do something about this 46-page rule book. So yeah. I reduced it to 26 or 28, something like that. That's a big I, cut. I, that is a big cut, though. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I, I put lots of diagrams in. Oh, and, right, you know, okay. Pictures, you know speak volumes so yeah, they do, yeah. yeah and um i hadn't heard back from duncan it was a couple of weeks and i suppose i was a, a bit naughty in a way well no not naughty but i just thought okay what i'll do is i'll i'll send him the new rule set and just say i know that you know you're not yeah, clean, but yeah, okay this is the rule set i wished i'd had when you first asked and um actually i think before he read it i think duncan had been sort of thinking about my game in the interim 
And he came back and said, no, actually, I've been thinking about it. Can you bring it in? And so I took it in in July of uh, 2014. He liked it. I left it with them. And then in October, I was told, yeah, it's going to go to to print. And so that was October 14, and it came out in October 15. How did it make you feel? I mean, after I mean, after something that has you know, <laughs> been set, been you know, had the lifestyle, <laughs> had the life, had the lifespan of an average human being, um, <laughs> for it to for somebody to pick up and say, you know, I know you've had obviously um, kind of your peers kind of playing it and saying, yeah, this was work, and then you've had yeah. your playtesters yeah. playing it and, and playing it work. When you got the kind of the <clears throat> the communication from Duncan, who. If you're out there, Duncan, hello, because you are a lovely, lovely guy, and yes, I um, agree he's with a fan- that. Yeah. Fantastic guy, and it's uh, one of my favourite episodes. Was chatting to him, um, <clears throat> but how did that make you feel then? I mean, well, it was actually slightly surreal. Yeah. Um, to start with, I, I, I sort of looked at this email, and he said something like, "Congratulations! I'm pleased to let you know that it's gone through all our editing procedures and will be published." <laughs> and Congratulations. And I thought, and I, I sort of sewed it so. I said, look, <laughs> they're going to publish my game. Um, what, did yeah. she say, what did she say to that? Uh, I don't recall. <laughs> <laughs> well, she was pleased for me. I don't, I don't I know. Think don't, she, yeah, don't, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, that, that was just uh, extraordinary. Um, and so I, I then sort of, after that, I, I, I sort of reflected on, on where I'd how we'd got there. Yeah. And it and it did occur to me that I'd been extraordinarily lucky because if you there there are a number of things that it's like the sliding sliding doors. Is that the film? Yes. Uh, yeah, sliding yes. doors. Gwyneth Paltrow it, and John Hammond. Yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it just one of these things. So if I hadn't taken early retirement, I wouldn't necessarily have been in the position to find the time to do what I did. Okay. So that's one. Yeah. Um if I hadn't bumped into Rob Brown and had this and this discussion come about about his invention um then that again there's a there's a an opportunity to miss where we are. I think I was really fortunate that I was at the games Expo the year that Osprey, who let's face it are into military themed yeah, things yeah were yeah. starting board gamers because they come on the scene and the king is uh, the king is dead are their first two board games ever yeah. so you know if i delayed retiring for a year i'd have missed osprey at the outset that's not to say it wouldn't have been picked up but um you know and had i not spoken to rob and, and it just i just ba- thought it gosh your noodle i think that's what the yes, phrase is. it just it just sort of all <laughs> fell into place and and to to get the game picked up at the very first attempt, yeah, you know, no, I didn't go to any other publishers. I just went to the playtest zone, and there we go. Um, it's it's just nuts, really. But it's just been a, a thoroughly enjoyable experience. I mean, I, I just love it. I, I I love interacting with the the the, the people on the Board Game Geek site. Um, you know, answering their queries and so forth. Yeah, it's just terrific. So. Let's talk about the game itself because we've talked about the the genesis of the, of they come unseen. So, if I am looking, if I am looking over um, Osprey Games website, 
uh-huh. and um, I'm thinking about it. How would you? I mean, what's the mechanics behind it? What do you do in it? How would you play it? You know, just to give people a general idea of why they should consider picking it up. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, firstly, um, I, I, I should say it's it's not a simulation. Um, it, it's a game about submarines and about anti-submarine warfare, and it uses authentic terminology. It therefore has actions which are based on reality, but it's not a simulation. You, you can't simulate anti-submarine warfare on a bit of cardboard, you know, so many inches by whatever. But yeah. it, it's it's as authentic as you can get it, I uh-huh. think, because it, you know, a submariner or anybody in the navy coming to this and looking at it say, oh yeah, okay, I recognise that, I understand that, yeah, yeah, that makes all sense. So it it is thematic. Um, for people who don't know about it, there are. Two sides, um, NATO and the Soviets. Because this is uh, set in the Cold War, isn't it? Yes. Now, uh, yes, around the sort of uh, 60s, the, the technology is for the, about the 60s, 70s. Basically, when I, I joined submarines, in, as, you, as I've said, in yeah. uh, 72. Yeah. So the diesel-electric submarines, yes, nuclear boats were around the time. But it, it's, it's diesel-electric boats. You need that because if it was nuclear-powered submarines in a game, how would you sort out how they get found? Um, as, as I'll explain in, in this description, mm. the, the diesel boats make it sort of flow. Anyway, so you, you have two sides. NATO, they're operating two submarines. The Soviets, they're operating two destroyers and a logistic fleet of three ships, a supply ship and two container ships. Mm. Um, the... NATO are a bit concerned about um, the Soviets developing uh, nuclear p- power and so forth and, and uh, submarines and so forth up in the Barents Sea and they want their submarines to go up there clandestinely and take out installations. So on the board there are six islands with uh, Soviet ice stations using the phonetic alphabet, Alpha Bravo, Charlie, Delta, Echo, Foxtrot. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do that by landing uh, special ops forces to destroy the facilities. The Soviets on their side don't want this to happen, clearly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's they know the sub- <laughs> their, their intelligence. Yeah. <laughs> Leave them alone, please. Yes. Uh, their intelligence is good. They know the a couple of submarines are around, yeah. and they send out their destroyers to hunt them down and to sink them. Yeah. And they need to keep themselves organised by having uh, their fuel and weapons delivered to them by their logistic fleet. So it's a logistic game within the game. Yeah, okay. Now, as I said right at the beginning of this, um, there are no dice so in the game. And the submarines have a control panel and they have a battery gauge and a depth gauge. And the, the destroyers have a fuel gauge and a weapon gauge. And so the the amount that a submarine or a destroyer moves is completely up to the player. There's no chance in that. They decide. But it has a cost for battery for the submarine <clears throat> and fuel for the for the destroyer. And as they for the submarines, as their battery reduces, they can come up and do a snort move. That's when you come up to periscope depth. There, there are two boards. Yeah. One one board is the, the deep um barrance and it has areas of depth but 
250 feet, 450 feet, and 650 feet. Yeah. And the submarines can go to 200, 400, or 600, depending on the depth of water. And the the main board, which is seen by everybody, the, the, the deep one is hidden by a screen, is the surface of the Brant Sea. All right, okay. And so the... Um, the submarines, when their battery is getting low, appear briefly on the main board. They leave a so- uh, radar datum, basically, as far as the game is concerned. The Soviets have dis- uh, detected their masts on radar, so they know, oh, right, there was a submarine there very briefly. So that gives them a, a, a bit of a datum, and they can focus in on that. They have a sonar, sonar templates, which they can place down <clears throat> with coloured areas, and... Uh, the, the submarine players have to declare if uh, they're in one of those particular areas. This and if they're not, is, um, they just say this, no contact. Yeah, this um, this reminds me of the um, the hidden movement game, or well, one of my favourites, uh, which is Letters from Whitechapel, where <clears> the police <throat> will go up to a certain area in London, and they're surrounded by kind of um, cubes, and they will then say detect on a square. And if Jack okay. the Ripper's been in that square, he has to say, yep, I've been there, kind of thing. <clears throat> so this, sounds, um, this okay. sounds really interesting. So, yeah. Well, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> the sonar templates, um, if if the detection is forward of the beam, so from the beam to the bow, yeah. it's a little, little more accurate from above the beam, from the beam to the stern. Yeah. That's that's just to to give a little variety because sonar isn't 100%. You, you can't go out to sea, switch on the sonar, and you just detect everything that's there. It's not it like in the problems. movies, then. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that was the sort of cater for that. And there, there's a blind arc that the submarines can uh, can utilise if they if they pass directly underneath uh, the, the ship, and things like that. So having... Uh, sorry, I was saying, therefore, about the... That's how the submarines... Um, increase their battery percentage by appearing occasionally on the main board that's yeah. why i say with, with nuclear submarines they've got no need to refuel uh you know to anything they've just gone forever the game just wouldn't work in that respect um so the soviets then moving around they move and as they move they use fuel uh-huh. and, and their way of replenishing the fuel is to either go into one of the ice stations that hasn't been destroyed yes. <clears throat> excuse me where there is fuel available and take on that fuel or they can meet up with a supply ship as long as it's got fuel on board, and do that at sea, um, which is the replenishment at sea, which is a you know a factual thing that does take place. So that's why there's no luck in the movement. It really is up to the the teams how they go. Yeah. And I do I do call it a team game. Um, it's for two to five players. If two people are playing, then one person plays NATO and operates both submarines. Yes. I mean, they can op- they can operate one submarine if they like, but yeah, okay. why, why not operate two? And the, the the Soviet player operates the two destroyers and the logistic fleet. The logistic fleet don't have a control panel for fuel or anything. They're just given. <clears throat> it's assumed they have enough fuel for the game. That's yeah. fine. So yeah, they okay. have okay. they have a maximum move that they can do, and uh, they they move around taking the, the fuel about. If if you have uh, fuel and weapons, if you have. Uh, Three players, again, you could have one doing both submarines and the other two taking a destroyer each plus the fleet. Yes. Two players each side, You, you just it's a team game. Um, I mean, some people, I'd, I've noticed there's one person on Board Game Geek saying, oh, no, I don't like games where there's player elimination. Well, I, okay, I can understand that can be a bit tricky 
in in some respects, but then again, a sort of war game, there is going to be elimination. However, (laughs) but but having said that, you see that the way it has always been played, I've always played it in in my experience at sea, is that the, the, the the two NATO people behind their screen, they're sort of planning together because they know the targets they need to go. They go to four of the six islands and that's decided by card draw. Yeah, and and they're very much doing it together, thinking, oh, okay, how are we going to do this and other? So actually, if your submarine gets taken out of the game, okay, that submarine's out of the game, but that doesn't stop that person still being involved. Yeah, with the, with the team. Yeah. So I, I've never really seen it as a a player elim- having a player elimination problem. Yeah, um, and if it gets and, really bad, you just say, "Oh, look, here's another submarine just turned up." If somebody <laughs> just throws, well, a, yes, I mean, you, yes, somebody yes, throws yeah. their toys out well, of yes. the pram, you know. True enough, you could do that. Yeah, you know, it's yes. just all Although, that you've got reinforcements, kind yeah, of. Yeah, but having said that, I mean, the win condition, no, <laughs> it would never end. Uh, the win condition for the Soviets is to <clears throat> sink both submarines, and the submarines ah, have right, to, have okay. to ta- the submarines <clears throat> have to take three hits um, to be sunk. So, um, in terms of one of the things you mentioned earlier on um, about, you said Forbidden Desert, and you said the oh the, the weather. weather, yeah, yeah. So, how does that affect the game then? What does that? What yeah. difference does that make to things? Well, um, it just makes it harder, and, and but also I think it it sort of it it perfects the balance. It, it's 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 pretty balanced, I think, and certainly. The people who've played it and who've reported back seem to concur with this that it is balanced. But the anyway, but the, the weather there are th- the the board is divided up into three sea areas: west, central, and east. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the game, one of the cards is drawn the the station cards, and it's got a number on it. <clears throat> and that number sets a token on a a track that w- runs from one to six. There are three little tracks, one for each sea area, running from one to six. And say uh, you draw the card three, then the token for the western area goes on three, the central area goes on two, and the eastern area goes on one. Right, okay. And then that sets the weather for the beginning of the game, but it doesn't actually come into force for the first turn. Then at the end of the first turn, the weather's in force, and then at the end of every successive turn, these tokens just move one to the right. Right, so okay. basically, so basically, the weather is spreading across the board, and the one, two, and three, just uh, up to six, are for different storm levels. Storm uh, level one, two, and three, it's calm. The yeah. weather has no no effect. Storm level four, the waves are high, so the ships are reduced. Their maximum move is reduced by four squares. All right, so okay. Storm level four reduced by four. Storm level five reduced by five, but also <clears throat> certain things can't take place, and um, in storm level five, there's a, a a thermal layer is created at 300 feet. So it means that a submarine below that, at either 400 or 600, won't be detected by sonar, even if it's there. All right, okay. Um, and then for storm level six, ships are reduced by maximum move, reduced by six. Yeah. Um, submarines aren't able to snort. Um there's a layer now at 500 feet, so only submarines at 600 feet are undetectable. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it just puts that extra layer and a realistic layer of, of complexity on it. And then so if you're a submarine captain, you think, right, okay, I know I'm not going to be able to snort when it gets to storm level six. I need to get my snort in now. 
And actually, if I'm in deep enough water, once I go deep and the next turn the weather goes to six, they as long as I'm below, yeah. Yeah. well, they won't be able to, to detect me, yeah. but they might think, well, we know he was roughly there. Actually, he couldn't probably be any further away. So, yes, but it, it just adds that uh, uh, extra complication and 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 it's more thematic or well, further yeah the 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 theme is is enhanced that's probably the way to put it <laughs> have you um <clears throat> now the game's been published yeah do you go back to it and have you thought about kind of slight changes you would make or change the components <clears throat> or anything like that or are you just kind of like you know that'll do this is fine <clears throat> i'm quite happy <laughs> Um, well, I'm I'm really happy with with the game as, as Osprey produced it. Yes. I, I have I have done some work on a an expansion. Oh, okay. Which, but I, whether that'll ever come to anything, um, but the the expansion gives a, a different mission for NATO. Uh, it's extracting agents rather than blowing places up, um, and it it brings in a few more ships. And also a hidden element on the Soviet side. Um, so, so that's just going to give a, a, a different option for players. Um, I'm very happy with it. I, I don't know, as I say, whether it'll come to anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever? Um, <clears throat> I mean, with other designers, because you've got something out there and published, have you ever thought about <clears throat> any other? kind of games at all is have you still got a couple well, of ideas i thought oh i could maybe do this or? yeah well yeah it, it, um i've actually got one that i'm toying with um yes you're quite right having done this i sort of thought good heavens you've designed a game <laughs> exactly um, oh should i should i be doing it something else and i but i it, it's a case of you, the need, you can't. I don't think you can go looking for the idea. It just has to hit you in the face. Yes. And absolutely. so for for quite a while, nothing came to me, and I don't think I've actually got the 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 sort of mind that will come up with an abstract game. So I think what I've realised, come to realise, that my games have to have some historical background, some some real story, and um, <clears throat> so I'm working on a a game. Um, which is going to be is a sort of uh, worker placement, I think, is the the board gaming term for it, which I'm sort of learning as I go along. Um, it's about the archipelago of St Kilda. Oh, um, okay. And my sort of working title is either St Kilda, a world apart, or St Kilda, the edge of existence. That's where I am at the moment. <laughs> um, and it, it's it, it's because I've I've seen St Kilda through a periscope. I would love to go to St Kilda, but I haven't managed that. But I've seen it through a periscope, and I've I've read a couple of times a, a great book. It's probably the only book about St Kilda. It's called I've got it here with me, so I didn't forget the title. <laughs> St Kilda: The Life and Death of. And for um, people who don't know, but they probably do, um, St Kilda is I can't remember the distance. About forty fifty miles to the west of the Outer Hebrides, and these people scratched out a living there for centuries. But in 1930, they had to, uh, they were evacuated because it, they were becoming too much of a, a strain on the mainland, trying to support them. Mm-hmm. In the end, 
And um, I just love the story. I know it's, it's, it's a sad one in a way, but they, they had this existence there. And when you look at the, the map of the archipelago of St Kilda, it, it would just make a fantastic playing board, just really interesting. And their lives revolved around harvesting seabirds off the cliffs, um, making Harris Tweed from uh, the um, sheep that they had on the, the stack islands around in the archipelago. Um, they produced oil from boiling down the birds. So there's there's all these different things they have to try and achieve. And actually, they they did at times really struggle because they're on the edge of existence. You know, they had to be self-sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. And I just thought, you know, the, the map of the archipelago looks great and um, the story is good. And I so what I'm trying to do is to come up with a, a I think it would be a solo for solo play or two players yeah. just trying to manage and it would be it would, the game would last over the, the course of a year yeah. and basically and basically you've got to survive anyway so so that's what I'm uh, sort of playing at and I, I, I'm doing a little better I think coming up with a an imaginative name at the outset <laughs> unlike submarine and incidentally on, on that when it came the, the submarine becoming they come unseen yeah how did that when, happen well it, it was when I was back in December 13 2013, when I was, I was starting this process to, to see if I could get it published, I, I just sort of looked at it and I thought, no, you, you can't go along with a game called Submarine. Well, um, okay, okay, here's the thing, because we've had a guest on, um, I think Mark from the London London Board Game Company, and his board game was about football, and it was called The Football Game. So, <laughs> you know, well, okay. he was fascinated. He could, like, he could actually register that as a trademark and a... At a game, but nobody had ever yes. called it just the football game. So, you know, maybe submarine. <laughs> you never know. I mean, it will indeed. But anyway, so I, I thought no, it, it needs to have yeah. something a little more. And I, for, I, I can't remember the time, but maybe it's about a week. I was sort of thinking this and the other, and then again, it's sort of the penny dropped. The, the 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 motto for the Royal Navy Submarine Service is "We come unseen." Ah, oh, right. Okay. Now, I didn't think it would. It was right. I I, I just felt uneasy about taking my services motto and just stamp putting it on a on a board game yeah no, but i no, thought absolutely. no no tell you what i can change that to they yeah put it in third person and that makes sense and so uh, that's that's how the game the, the name came about that's fantastic i mean this is all you know fascinating stuff as I say, it's very rare. It's, well, it's rare, yeah. It's, I've never spoken to anybody that's kind of the theme of the game has basically been their kind of their career, and they and they've kind of they've kind of lived it in themselves as well. Yeah. I mean, if people are listening and they're like, "Well, I would like to get a copy of this game," um, it's it's available through <laughs> Osprey Games. So we'll, I mean, we'll put yep. a link. Um, we'll put a link on the actual show notes. Okay. Um, it is currently now. I'm not. Sh- I mean, it's usually about forty pounds, isn't it? Um, it's currently on this. It's on sale at the moment, I believe. Um, it's. I th- uh, it was on sale, but yeah. I, I. That was the January sale. Oh, um, right. Whether it's still on sale, I don't know. Okay. Okay. But, but it was. It was half price. Yeah. Yeah, it was forty pounds, and. I mean, just going down this, you get the, you get the board, you get the deep board, you get the game screen, you get the control panels, you get the search pieces, you get the ice station 
ice station cards, you get ships, the submarine tokens, the actual history and tactics book as well. So were you involved in kind of writing? Did you pen all that together yourself? The, yeah, the, the history, history it, was, it was really nice. Um, Duncan said, oh, I think what we need to do with this, we'll have a rule book and um, it'd be good to have a, a history bit. Because in my 46-page initial tome, uh-huh. um that was it it was that long because of quite a lot of it was um explaining at the time here's the rule this is how the game plays and by the way this is why that's this is the reality of it all right okay. so basically what i did is i just ripped that out of the the rule book and made it into a separate book and, and duncan said yeah let's 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 put in a yeah. uh, this book so it, that has the introduction and really just puts a, a a tiny little description of, of why it is as it is. Um, and I've I've done a couple of pages on life at Sina Diesel Submarine um, yeah. with some great photographs. And then submarines in the Cold War, what they, how it was, they, how they were operated, and anti-submarine warships in the Cold War. Yeah, just and at the back of it, some tactical suggestions for the game based on that uh, historical reality. That's yeah. just. So you have you ever thought about doing like a director's cut and putting the forty six page one out again? And <laughs> <laughs> just there you go. Have it. Have it all. Have it a lot. Kind well, of it, thing. I mean, it, it it did just cover just about everything. So I suppose it it had its some advantages, but yeah, um, it, it had an index. I mean, you know, because it was so big, it had, a, <laughs> had an index. With, um, cool. Cool. Yeah. But you can pick it up from um, you can pick it up from Osprey Games. I'm guessing that you can um, you can get it from and there all, and all good all um, good retailers. All good. Yeah. Re- I know. I sound like one of those salespeople on the telly. All good <laughs> retailers. Um, <clears throat> our operators are standing by waiting to take your call. Um, <laughs> if people want to, um, obviously, people can go to the Osprey Games site if they want to keep an eye on what else is <laughs> happening with Osprey Games. Yeah. Are you? Do you have a presence on the social medias on the interwebs of this world? Uh, I do. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Twitter. In, on a, I'm very happy with my handles, if that's the term <laughs> to get to out there. I'm on Twitter as at Perisher eighty eight zero. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, because that because that was the year I, d- I did Perisher, so Perisher eighty. Um, and on that, I, I I started tweeting about the game as well as submarines and my interests yeah but then i thought actually the time has come where i need to have a they come unseen yeah twitter account which i have and that's you guessed it at they come unseen and i've i really put that one there so that i could put in additional thoughts it's called sort of tips talks and tactics about the board game they come unseen so i put up thoughts there for people to to help them enjoy the game and what i'm hoping is that People will start coming back to me in direct message or yeah, okay. tweet, tweet their thoughts and ideas, questions, comments, and so forth. So yes, at, at Parish Rate and at They Come Unseen, and I also have a They Come Unseen Facebook page. Oh right, okay. Well, I'll tell you. So we you won't... just yeah, you just search on Facebook for They Come Unseen. Well, yeah. we'll make sure that we um, we put the links in the show notes so that if if anybody is interested, you know, everybody is interested tonight. They okay. can jump on and they can they can keep an eye on things. Okay, and I, I um, can add that. I can sorry, Richard. I can add that. 
um, my they it's all they come and seen uh, they come and seen at gmail.com if they want to email you directly yeah yeah I'm happy for that yeah cool brilliant okay okay um Andy this has been fascinating <laughs> um it's you know um as I say we 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 kind of spoke a good couple of months ago um about having a chat and then I'm you know I'm so glad that it's we've done it um because this has been brilliant chat i loved it loved every minute of it good um, well, i've enjoyed it too thank and thank you for the the opportunity oh, it's no, been no, uh, it's, very no, good it's my pleasure um i guess there's only two things to do um the first thing is as always is to remember that we are many things but we're not wizards are we wizards andy uh, we're not wizards. Definitely not. We may, may be many things, but we're not. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and the uh, the last thing is to, is to thank everybody for for um, for dropping by, tuning in, and and listening in to our my delightful chat this evening with uh, with Andy. Um, as I say, I will put all the notes in the uh, in the show notes, so we have some notes to show, and. Um, it only remains for us to say goodbye. So it's a, it's a, it's a goodbye from from Andy. Down all masts, six down. Keep four hundred feet. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't. I just need to say goodbye. I can't top that. <laughs> I'll sound like a fool. So stay safe, stay hidden, and until next time, bye bye. <laughs>